the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Turn in your Bibles, we're continuing in our series in Matthew, so Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 33 this morning, so please turn there. I'm going to read a, a short excerpt, it's a little story, testimony from a book I've been reading called Evangelism as Exiles. Uh, and the author used to be a missionary in a, in a closed country. Uh, a country where preaching the gospel is not allowed, conversion to Christianity is not allowed within the country that he was serving. And this is a story that he shares. One afternoon, as my wife was working in the kitchen, I heard a sudden and sharp gasp. Then, without hesitation, she cried out for me to come. I immediately hurried to her side, assuming she was hurt. But there, from our kitchen window, I found her staring out towards the opposite hill between our home and the village. I followed her sight line to the silhouette of our 11-year-old son, standing on a mound of dirt more than 100 yards away. Across from him was a group of boys, a village troop we both easily recognized, a gang known by kids in our neighborhood as the Rough Uncles. As we squinted into the distance, our eyes locked onto the boy closest to our son. From his body language, we could sense this was a confrontation. In the, village boy's, in the village boy's hand, a large rock about the size of a football was held. We both watched in stunned silence as he cocked his arm and raised the stone in anger over our son. I froze. For that brief moment, we felt helpless and hopeless as parents, unsure of what to do and completely unable to rescue our son. Looking back, I realized I could have thrown open the window and yelled at the boys, or I could have raced down the stairs and outside to my son's aid, but would that have even helped or made things worse? It all happened so fast. Or maybe I was too slow, but before we could muster any semblance of a response, the situation was somehow diffused. The boy lowered the rock, and our son came hurrying back to the house, his face mixed with concern, shame, and uncertainty. As soon as he walked in the door, we embraced him and asked him what had happened. He told us that the gang had come up on him without warning, and the group knew he was a foreigner and thus presumed he was a Christian. They asked if he believed that Jesus was God's son who died on the cross. When our son answered in the affirmative, the boys were incensed and threatened him with stoning. My wife, who by this time was almost beside herself, then asked, so what did you do? To which he responded, I told them I wasn't afraid of them. I told them they could kill me, but that wouldn't matter because I would just end up in heaven. It's amazing composure for an 11-year-old boy. To be able to stand firm in his faith and his convictions, his faith in Jesus Christ, to know where his, his security was rooted, 
that God was with him through that whole situation. It's incredible. He literally stared death in the face and didn't flinch. He was a sheep surrounded by wolves. And yet he trusted that God would be with him and give him everything that he needed. And he did. In today's passage, we're going to continue to see Jesus' instructions to his disciples as he's sending, sending them out into Israel. And he, we're going to see words to the disciples about the persecution that's going to come to them. Words that tell us that the ones who are faithfully going out in Christ's name will be mocked, ridiculed, possibly even arrested or executed just for simply telling the world about who Jesus is and that their only hope is in him. Jesus' words also tell us, though, that God is with them through it all, just like he was with that boy. So the big idea for today's passage, today's sermon is that God is always with those who are persecuted for the gospel. God is always with those who are persecuted for the gospel. Two points to the sermon. First one, gospel proclamation brings persecution, and God gives comfort to the persecuted. So on to point number one, gospel proclamation brings persecution. Reading the first few verses from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 23, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will drag you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are going to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus, as he's sending them out, um, you, you can speculate what the, what the disciples would have been acting like. Like Maybe they're nervous, maybe they're excited. Like, yeah, Jesus has given us all authority that he has, too. He's given us, he's told us that we can go out and do all the things that he's done. We can heal, we can cast out demons. All these great things. So maybe there was some excitement to them. And Jesus says, yeah, boys, you're, you're thinking you can go out and that you're going to have these great crowds follow you and just like they've been crowding around me and all of that stuff and you're just going to be, like, it's going to be your 15 minutes of fame, guys. That's maybe what you're thinking. But don't think that too quickly. Things aren't necessarily going to be that easy. 
And he goes on to tell them just how difficult it will be for them to go out and minister to the people of Israel. Men will deliver them to the courts. They'll be flogged or beaten with whips in synagogues. They'll be dragged before governors and kings. Why? Verse 18, Jesus says, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So the persecution was going to come to them for a reason. And God was going to use that. Persecution was going to come to the disciples as they were going out in the towns of Israel in order for them to bear witness to their persecutors, both Jewish rulers and Gentile rulers. In other words, their persecution was a God thing. Their persecution was a God thing. You aren't used to calling bad things a God thing, are you? Usually it's, a, it's like when I've been praying for something and, oh, I got this job and all these, all these things happened and all of a sudden, boom, I got the job that I wanted and, oh, it was a God thing. Yes, and it was. But so were the bad things, actually. God's sovereignty is so great that he is sovereign even over those bad things in your life and he will use them for your good and his glory. Even persecution. Jesus is telling them that gospel proclamation will bring about persecution, and then the persecution will bring about gospel proclamation. They play off of each other. Gospel proclamation brings persecution, and persecution brings gospel proclamation, all for the glory of God and for the furtherment of his kingdom. This week, I was listening to a sermon from a pastor's conference a few years back, and this pastor was talking about how he was dealing with conflict, and he was going to his mentor, and this mentor, he was sitting with him, asking him how ministry was going, and he was telling them all the bad things that were happening, all the, all the criticism he was receiving, and all the hard things that were happening, and his mentor put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, that's perfect, And he looked at him like, what are you talking about? I'm emptying my heart to you, and you're telling me this is perfect? And he's like, yeah, sounds like you're exactly where God wants you. God often puts us in difficult situations for reasons that are beyond our understanding, simply because we can't see the whole picture. We don't see the big picture of what's going on around us and all the circumstances that are happening around us. And how even through the hard time and our faithful witness in that hard time, how that could affect people's lives. We just don't see it. But God sees it. And he's wise. And he's loving. And he's sovereign. These 12 disciples were about to go out into their mission field and experience opposition Arrests, beatings, you name it, it could all happen, Jesus is telling them. And they needed to be confident that their heavenly father put them there and that he was going to provide what they needed. What does Jesus tell them? When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You. See, the Holy Spirit was going to be with them and was going to be empowering them, 
giving them the authority and the might that they needed to do all those great works, but also he was going to give them the words they needed when they were in difficult situations. And Jesus is talking about what it would be like for them on this trip that they were on, but he's also speaking about what it would be like for missionaries for the next 2,000 years and what we've experienced since that time, what Christians have experienced, what great men and women of the faith who have gone before us have experienced. For 2,000 years, Christians have experienced persecution like this. Just read the book of Acts. You see, it starts right away. And now for centuries since, Christians have experienced persecution. Even you look back on the lives of, of most of the apostles, and they went on to become martyrs. Dying for their faith. History tells us that Thomas went all the way to India and was executed for his faith, was martyred for believing in Jesus. It was through preaching in hostile environments that the gospel spread in the Roman Empire up to the point of, at 300 AD, before Constantine made it legal, it's estimated there were 6 million Christians makes up 10% of the entire Roman Empire population before he made it legal. Gospel proclamation brought persecution, and persecution brought on more gospel proclamation. You even look at China today. When the Communist Revolution happened in China, Mao said that he was going to wipe Christianity out of the country. It was going to be a long-forgotten thing of the past. And today... Over 100 million Christians. And not through big tent revivals, not through mega churches and evangelists on TV, through Christians being faithful to proclaim the gospel to their neighbor one by one, house church by house church. Persecution brought on by gospel proclamation brought more gospel proclamation. Yet here we are in North America, many of us in our nice warm homes and our flannel shirts, and we're comfortable. We're comfortable, and we look at the idea of sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet. It might be coworkers, it might be neighbors, whoever. And, and we're concerned about what could come our way because it's not necessarily going to be something like arrested, being arrested or um, put in jail or executed. Like, thankfully, in Canada, we aren't at that place. And I say thankfully somewhat with trepidation because you look at the, the kind of witness that goes out or the, the kind of things that are, that are holding us back, it's this soft form of persecution, this, this idea that we might be rejected or maybe lose your job if you're too bold and open. Maybe, but maybe somebody is just not going to want to be your friend anymore. Maybe somebody's just not going to associate with you. So maybe that, that kind of persecution isn't enough to spur us on. Maybe we need more. We should really consider when we're choosing to play it safe, 
what playing it safe actually is doing to us. Notice Jesus' words in verse 22. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who just reads his or her Bible every day and prays the prayer at the end of the daily bread. Not the one who prayed the prayer at camp a few years ago. Not the one who plays in the worship band. All of these are good things, and they're, they can be evidence of what God's doing in your life, but they can also be things that we just do for the sake of doing it because it makes us look good. The one who endures, Jesus says, and he's in the context, the one who endures the difficulty that gospel-centered living brings. So if we're not enduring any difficulty, are we enduring? If we aren't enduring any difficulty or opposition for the name of Jesus, truly, how safe are we? So now think, think about your, your life and, and all the, the spheres of influence you have, your job, your family, your neighborhood, your, your church, your um, whatever other things you're associated with. Think about those. And think about sharing the gospel in those places. True, you might get rejected in some way or another. Maybe a friendship could be on the line. Or in certain situations, maybe you go on a missions trip, you choose to go off as a missionary, or maybe a missionary is watching online from the mission field, and, you're, and you are in jeopardy. Your safety is in jeopardy. Your life could be in jeopardy. Uh, recently, I heard a, a story from a friend who is a missionary in a different closed country, and he had... Uh, one of his ministry partners was actually attacked with a knife by his neighbor. They don't really know what provoked the attack, but they know that the person uh, didn't like the fact that his neighbor was a Christian. Whether that was actually what provoked it or not, nobody knew for sure, but he was stabbed. He'll recover. Listen, listen wherever you are, whether you're, whether you're here facing that more soft form of persecution, or you're in a closed country where it's intense, life-threatening persecution. Answering the call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ simply is full of risk. It's full of risk. But its rewards are greater than any comfort you have here right now. You talk to missionaries who have shared the gospel in those countries and you hear about the fruit that they've had and how much joy it's brought them and how much excitement it's brought them. You look at the testimonies of people like Corey Ten Boom or Richard Wormbrand who was arrested and put in a prison, locked in chains, made to stand for 24 hours a day in freezing cold water, unable to even preach to his fellow cellmates for fear of being further persecuted by the guards who are in there. But he did it anyway because he knew 
uh, in his testimony, he said, uh, because it gave me the joy of preaching and it gave my guards the joy of beating me. So everybody was happy. <laughs> but the rewards that, that following Christ fully enduring to the end can give us or will give us is far greater than anything the world has to offer. Eternal life with Jesus is the reward in a perfect, sinless, disasterless, warless, diseaseless, new heavens and new earth for you and for those who come to faith because of the proclamation that you've brought them. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Gospel proclamation brings persecution, and that persecution brings further gospel proclamation. But in the next few verses, we're going to see that Jesus, Jesus also encourages us in this and reminds us that God gives comfort to us amidst the persecution. So God gives comfort to the persecuted. Matthew 10, verses 24 to 33. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell." Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. So Jesus gives us two comforts and one warning in this passage. The first comfort, number one, you're in good company. Comfort number one, you're in good company. If you're being persecuted, Jesus says in this passage, you are, you are with him in the persecution. He was persecuted before you, now you are being persecuted. You're in good company, you're with him. If you call him your Lord and Master, you shouldn't get it better than he did. So if the Master is treated this way, his servants can also expect the same. In other words, if you're persecuted for aligning yourself with Jesus, take heart, you're in good company. If people called Jesus evil for what he did, Surely they're also going to call his followers evil for being with him. This is what the martyrs experienced. This is what many Christians have experienced throughout the ages. 
And it should be a comfort to us when we face opposition for being a Christian. Jesus faced opposition. And now we are. And you can praise God and give him glory in the middle of it. But if you're being persecuted for being a Christian, if you're facing this, you should also check your heart and your actions. Because if someone doesn't like you, or if someone doesn't like us, we need to ask why they don't like us. Because there's lots of reasons for people to not like us or not to like each other. It's not just your faith. So imagine the guy driving down the road with his Christian fish on the back, and he's swerving in and out of traffic, he's speeding, he's cutting people off. Other people drive past him, they're flipping him the bird, they're yelling at him, they're trying to cut him off, and he drives along. They really don't like me because I'm a Christian. That Christian fish really makes me a target. No, dude, you're just a terrible driver. You're inconsiderate of other people. Listen, believing in Jesus doesn't doesn't give us the right to go around being a jerk. Or think about your job site. Your coworkers give you the cold cold shoulder. Is it because you're a Christian? Or is it because maybe your work ethic isn't that great? Or maybe you aren't doing what you said you were going to do? See, our witness is far more than us just saying that we're Christians. Our witness is our lives as well and our actions. And our actions have to match our witness. The culture already finds Jesus offensive. The gospel itself is offensive to people because what's the gospel? Well, first you've got to understand the bad news is that everybody's a sinner. And nobody likes to hear that. They don't want to hear that they need to be saved and that there's only one way. That's an offensive message to the world. We don't need to add the offense of our own sin to it. We just finished a Bible study in the book of Colossians. In the last couple of weeks, we were talking about what we as believers need to put off or put to death and what we need to put on in Christ. So Colossians 3.8 tells us some things that we have to put off, but now you must put them all away Anger, wrath, malice. And if you don't know what malice is, malice is basically just wishing ill on somebody or not wanting the best for somebody. That's what malice is. Slander, obscene talk from your mouth. We, all need, we need to put these things away, yet these are things that is so easy for us to fall into in our regular relationships, in our workplaces and neighborhoods. It's easy for us to fall into these things, isn't it? But we need to be putting these off. And instead, we need to be putting on Colossians 3, 12 to 14 as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So if this is how you're living, while you're putting these things on, 
And even if you sin against somebody, that you go and you seek their forgiveness. You confess it to them, ask for forgiveness. If these things are what you're putting on, and then you're persecuted for being a Christian, then take heart, you're in good company. But we have to watch our witness. So number two, comfort number two, you are known and you are loved. Verse 29 to 31 again, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is telling us and and telling his guys in the moment Guys, let me tell you, the detail of all the details that are in the planet, you think of every molecule, he could have said, every molecule that's out there, God knows where it is. Or for for some of us, he, he could have said, for every hair on your head, or the ones that were on your head, the ones that fell to the ground like the sparrows, he had those all numbered. He knows where they all went. You don't like bald jokes? Sorry. (laughs) But Jesus is telling them, listen, every detail of who you are, God knows you are his child. He has made you in his image. Take comfort in that. You've been formed by him in your mother's womb. You are made in his image. No other creature can claim that status. You're of far more value than any sparrow. So if you're in Christ, and if you confess your sin to him, if you have put your faith in him for your righteousness, like what we just sang in these songs, if you've been saved and washed by his blood, you are intimately known and loved and cared for by your heavenly father. And you can take comfort in that. If, you've, if you get to a point where you're facing persecution... If you go out and start spreading the gospel and you start getting rejected, you can take comfort in the fact that God knows every detail. And you have nothing to worry about. Look at these incredible words from the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written all the way back in 1563. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Those are incredible words. The greatest comfort for anyone living for Christ is that we are intimately known and loved by him and that there is nothing that can take that away from us. Your neighbor may reject you, your boss might fire you, your family may disown you, but nothing 
can snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can take you out of his sheepfold. Nothing can take you out of his gracious care. And as with last week's passage, this one also ends with a warning. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So think of the 12 who are going out on this mission that Jesus is sending them out into Israel. Think of the 12. How many of them rejected Jesus? Well, two, two that we know of. I saw one go up. Two that we know of. Maybe more. They all ran away from him, but definitely two publicly denied Christ and rejected him. Judas, of course, who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's probably the one that I saw this little finger going up for. But there was another one. His name's Peter. When Jesus was being tried and when he was going through his punishment after he was arrested, Peter was asked three times if he was a follower of Jesus, if he associated with Jesus. And at each one of those times he said, no. The difference, though? Judas wallowed in his guilt. Judas wallowed in his guilt and went and killed himself. He didn't understand the matchless grace of Jesus. He didn't think to himself, uh, he didn't remember all the things that Jesus taught him. He didn't believe all the things that Jesus taught him about the fact that he would raise to new life. He didn't believe those things. He didn't believe everything about what Jesus has told him. And he went and did himself in. But Peter? When Peter heard of Jesus' resurrection, that the tomb was empty, he ran down to the tomb. John gets there first, but Peter just blows past him right inside the tomb and takes a look. What's going on? And then later, Peter, or Jesus shows up to them as they're fishing, and Peter sees him from a boat, and he just drops everything he has, dives into the water, fully clothed, swims to shore, goes right all the way up to Jesus. This is the picture of repentance, friends. This is the picture. Running to Jesus, swimming to Jesus, not having any other care in the world, but the biggest thing is that I need to get to Jesus. That's Repentance. And Peter had that. And then Jesus comes to him and he restores him. And he asks him, how many times? He asks him three times, the same number of times that Peter denied him. Jesus asked him, do you love me? And then he gives him the charge, go then and feed my sheep. In other words, go out into the world, spread the gospel. And that's what Peter did. Judas trusted in his own works. And when he had failed, he continued down that path of destruction. But Peter, Peter had faith in Jesus. 
And then Peter went through his life, enduring persecution all the way to the point of himself being crucified. Tradition tells us upside down because he didn't want to, he didn't want to be crucified the same way as his Savior. Enduring to the end includes repentance and faith. So if you find yourself running away from Jesus at this point and you think you're too far or you've done too much and, and, and you're, the way you're living right now is not in line with Christ and you can't go back to him, you're too ashamed, don't be like Judas and endure in that shame. Be like Peter. Repent, run back to him and endure in faith. Endure in faith and have Christ's righteousness poured out on you. Because God is with those who endure in faith, in belief, in repentance. Those who endure through the persecution, God is with them all the way to the end and into glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and and as we, as we look to a passage like this, and there's so many challenges in it, challenges to us in how we're living, are, are we being faithful in our witness? Father, when, when we think about our loved ones, um, maybe even the person that we wrote down on that paper a couple of weeks ago when we were challenged to pray for somebody, and yet we haven't shared the gospel with that person yet if we've had the chance. Lord, would you give us the courage? Give us the courage to share and give us the character that should match our testimony as we share. Lord, help us not to be too proud to seek forgiveness where we need to. Help us not to be too proud to, uh, to, to run back to you in repentance. Give us hearts that, that look to follow you and love you and, and yearn to, to live for you no matter the cost. Lord, help us to look at the testimonies of people like we talked about or, or to see the, the, the history of, of the spread of your gospel and see that persecution, while obviously isn't pleasant, Lord, can really bring a lot of fruit for your kingdom. So Lord, bless us, grow us in our faith, give us courage, give us joy as we live for you. Help us to remember your promises of eternal life and the fact that all of sin, death, Satan himself will be gone for eternity when we get into that new heavens and new earth with you. So Lord, we look forward to that day. Give us joy as we strive towards it and give us courage. Bless us. In your name, Jesus, amen.